you can always go back and check it out. Um, before we begin, two things. One, stand up, Willie. July 4th, he's a firecracker baby. But he may not be here next week. So we're going to sing happy birthday today, all right? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Willie. Happy birthday to you. <clears throat> Love you, brother. It's going to be 24. 24. Man, to be back there again. <laughs> no, we fished those waters out, haven't we? <laughs> We're moving on to deeper water. <laughs> Deep water's a little more calm. <laughs> those shallows can get rocky. Second thing, let's just prepare our minds for the Word of God real quick before we get into it, okay? I'm going to give you a few moments to get yourself uh, any prayers you need said, get prepared, and then I'll kick in and then we'll go. Father, thank you for your awesomeness. The thing that I'm humbled this morning is, is that you, the God and creator of this universe, has said that you desire to be among us and that where we will gather together to worship you, that you'll be there in our midst. And that humbles me. Father, thank you for desiring fellowship with us. And as we take the most important thing that you've left us, and that's your holy and divine word, and as we begin to open it up this morning, we pray, Father, that we will be challenged by it, that we will believe it, that we will truly believe it and trust in these things. And may we do your word justice today, Father, and our eyes and our ears and our minds to be open and receptive and grasp a hold of it just as hard as Potiphar's wife is going to grasp a hold of his of Joseph's coat. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Turn if you would, if you brought your swords, to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. That's where we're going to break open some new ground today in this story. Just to review while you're turning there, if you think about it, Joseph, he got sent to check on his brothers. They tossed him into a cistern, which is an empty water holder. Depicts the emptiness from God's word that his brothers had. Tossed him into the cistern. They were sitting there eating fried chicken when looking out on the horizon. Now the fried chicken's not in there. I saw a couple of looks there real quick. I thought I'd better go back. Uh, but anyway, they were eating some fried chicken. They was licking the grease off and Judah said, look back there here comes a caravan well the ishmaelites come up with uh, the midianite trucking company llc eddie wasn't a part of the driver of this this was way before his time this is 3800 years ago so the midianites come with their trucking company by there and they said hey let's just sell joseph to these guys and we'll make some money off of it and we'll go our way and he's gone from our lives we can get rid of him the dreamer and the word of god that he that these dreams represent and so they pull him out of that dry cistern and they put him on the trucking company and they ship him off. And we said, what's going to happen to him? These are Ishmaelites. These are cousins that 
are on the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. They don't follow God. So what's the cousins going to do? Is he going to make it to Egypt? Is he going to be one of their slaves? What's going to happen to him? Well, we leave off with uh, the last verse of 37 had said that he made it to Egypt to a place called Potiphar's house. And that's where we pick up our story today is what's going to happen in the misadventures of Joseph. This is going to be another fine mess he's gotten himself into. If you ever seen those old Laurel and Hardy movies and stuff? This is another fine mess you gotten us into. So here we go in Genesis 39. Now, Joseph, he had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, he brought him from the Ishmaelites and who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph. And so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, when his master saw that, Joseph then found favor in his sight and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had both in the house and in his fields. So Potiphar left everything that he had in the hands of Joseph in his care. He did not concern himself with anything that went on except for the food that he was going to eat. Now, Joseph was well built and he was handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and she said, come on to bed with me. But he refused. And he says, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything that is in his house. Everything that he owns has been entrusted into my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you, his wife. How then... Could I do such a wicked thing, not only against him, but also to sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the servants were there. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand. Excuse me, and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left the cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, now she began to call to the servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew that was brought into the house that the master has made, look at what he's done. He was brought here to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when He heard me scream for help. He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept that cloak with her, right beside her, until the master came. And then she told him that story and said, 
that Hebrew that you brought in here into the house to me, he tried to make sport with me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left this cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. And when the master heard this story that his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, it says that he burned with anger. Son, can Joseph get himself into trouble or what? I mean, without even trying. He gets himself into all kinds of mishaps. This is another fine mess that he's gotten himself into. Now, let's remember, though, the promises that we've been standing on here for the last three weeks. Romans 8.28, if you'll remember. All things work together for good. It says we know, that's the first and important part, knowledge of these things. If you don't know it, you can't stand on it. So you have to have the knowledge. We know that to those loving God, that he works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. How in the world... Though, after we have just read this section of Scripture, how in the world is God going to be able to take this story and make it work for good in his life? How is he going to be able to do it? Well, God uses Romans 8.28 like my ninja blender here. I love this thing. I use it almost every day. And you can put good things in it, and you can put bad things in it. And I've got a little milk in here. That represents the sincere milk of the Word. And if you're standing upon those promises like Romans 8.28, that milk of the Word, you can put other things in here. i got some bad blueberries in here, because a lot of times we get the blues, don't we? We get depressed we get to feeling down so you can put those blues inside of here and I got some strawberries in there think about straw that's what caused all the the Hebrew children in the next book in Exodus trouble when Moses came back they took the straw away from them and made them labor and made them toil to build those bricks and so it represents the bad things that come in life so you can take the blues and you can take the bad things and God says Romans 8.28, bam! And that quick, he mixes it with the word of his milk, and he takes all those bad things and makes a good smoothie out of it. He works all things together for our good, just like that. So as we go about life, think about Romans 8.28 as God's ninja blender for everything in your life. He takes it and pops it and makes it for good and it comes out tasting well. But today, let's add another scripture to our arsenal. We've worked on this one for a while and we're kind of starting to get it. Now let's add 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7 to this. And it says, in all of these things, you see it's been talking about Peter starts out the book and all of these people that's been in trials and are scattered about And he says, because of all of the things that you're going through, he said, you should greatly rejoice. And I say, what? Are you serious? He says, no. Greatly rejoice in all of the troubles that you're going through. It's only for a little while. 
if need be, that you have grieved in all of your various trials. These have come so that there's a purpose behind them. That is a purpose clause beginning. These things are happening to you so that the genuineness of your faith can come out. It's being much more precious than gold. All of these things that are happening. It's more precious than that that is even tested by fire. See, Joseph is being tested by fire in the things that he is going through right now. And you say, how can that be for the good? But he says it is. These things work for you to be tried so that your genuineness of your faith shows what you are. And then it says that it takes that and makes it to you more precious than gold that is tried by fire. Whenever you dig gold out, sometimes you can't even tell what it is. It's mixed up with all kinds of things. It's about like me when God found me. Inside, hopefully, there's a little bit of that gold, a little bit of something good, but there was a whole lot of bad stuff. And so what you got to do when you dig for gold and when you pan for it and things, you put fire to it. And the gold will be heavier and the dross and the impurities come to the top and it can be skimmed off. And that's what these trials do to our life. It takes the stuff that's bad for us and brings it out so that it can be removed and taken off of you. And then he says when that happens, when the genuineness of your faith comes out through all of these trials then, it says that you may be found to praise, glory, and honor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me ask you, let's think about this for a minute. All of this trouble, this turmoil, this grief, this loneliness that Joseph is going through, can you figure out how it's for good? Can you figure out why this should even happen? I mean, really, it's so counterintuitive to everything I've been told. If you watch the TV preachers, they're going to tell you, believe in God, send your money to me, and you're going to be blessed beyond all belief, right? Everything is pie in the sky. God's word begs to differ with that view. He says, you're going to have troubles, you're going to have trials, but I'm going to take those, and I promise to work them together for your good. I promise that when you get done, it's going to be these things will be more valuable to you than gold is in your life. It doesn't seem logical, but that's the promise that God has made for us. Joseph, no, you and I, we have to put ourselves in these places that the scriptures talk about because they are true and they are applicable to us today. If we can't apply them and say that I am in these same situations and this is still going to work for me, then what good is it? So we've got to learn it and we've got to trust it. Our faith is going to need to be proven to be genuine through these problems. And somehow, God says, I've got a converter. I've got a blender that's going to take that and I promise it's going to make something good out of it if... You are like Psalm 1 that we saw last week. If you are like a tree that's planted beside the river of water, if you will take and drink in that word of God, I promise you that even in the drought times of life, 
You are going to produce fruit. Your leaves are not going to wither. And all that you are going to do will be blessed by God. So we've got to stand on that. I'm going to be rewarded now in this life through these things. And then this passage says forever in the appearing of Jesus Christ when he comes. So we look back at Joseph's life and the things that he's gone through so far and the things it is. And we say, what if that was my circumstance in life right now? I want you to, I want you to think, this is real life. This is real life. Think about what's happened. His family doesn't like him. They've shipped him off. You're 17 years old. Everything that you have known in life and everything that's been your security and everything that's been there for you is gone. You are now hundreds of miles away. You are in the hands of people that don't like you either because none of them like the Hebrews. You have nobody that even understands your language. You're in a complete foreign place with nothing but the clothes on your back and the chains that's around you. Put yourself in that position. Could you even think that God knows about you and is thinking on you, let alone that God is blessing you through all of this? I couldn't. I would be in panic palace. I would be completely that's like someone from china i get sold to china my family doesn't want me and they put me on that slow boat and a couple years later i'm there in chains i don't understand a word they don't like me what would you do man i'd be in panic palace i would be saying god has abandoned me he's forsaken me after all i tried to do and look where it ended up getting me but that's what the adversary wants you to think God says something a little bit different. He says, if you look right now in your circumstances of life, Joseph, if you look at the the next slide, he says, after all of these things that you've been going through, I want you to look at what our Bible says in this chapter. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Really? Are you kidding me? Look at verse 3. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Are you serious? Then look at verse 5. The Lord even blessed Potiphar because of his association with Joseph. Did you know that to those who God is blessing because they're walking with him, even though it doesn't look like they themselves are, if you treat them well, You get blessing by association. Here's an unbeliever. We're going to find out in a moment. His name, Potiphar, means one devoted to the sun god. One devoted to the sun god is now recognizing through the life of Joseph that there's a true God. And he's being glorified in that. Now look, he's being blessed by association with someone that's a different God than his. Look down at verse 21. We didn't get that far in our reading, but look, previews of coming attractions. The Lord was with him. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. In the most difficult time of life when Joseph could say, you've abandoned me, you've left me out, I am in Egypt, there is no one here. God says five times in this chapter, I'm with you, 
I'm there. I'm directing your steps. I know exactly where you are. Will you stay as a tree planted by the river of water and desire my word? If you will, I guarantee you, and that's God talking, not me, that I will turn all of this into something good for you. He got sowed, it says there in verse 1, into Potiphar's house. Potiphar, we just mentioned, his name means one devoted to the sun god or one whom the sun god has gave. He is probably, his family, highly associated with the religion, maybe from a priestly family, because of who his name is and what is happening. Later, well, no, I can't reveal that because we've got to figure out what's happening to Joseph each time, so I can't go that far. But Potiphar means that. Second, it tells us that he was an Egyptian. And you think, well, that's kind of obvious. That's where he took him, right? No. By mentioning this, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing that this is nobility. This is like when Paul said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's an Egyptian of the Egyptians. He's from nobility. He's from upper crust. He's like the Rockefellers and the Kennedys here with us. He is where he is because of who he is and who his family. He is true Egyptian through and through. That's what runs through his blood. He's devoted to their God, the sun God. And yet he's beginning to recognize some things. And then it says that he is one of Pharaoh's officials and that he is put in charge of some things. Oh, man, this thing talking about his officials, it's a Hebrew word called sar. Not to bore you with all those things, but it means that you are a prince or the chief ruler. He is not just some captain down in... uh, Georgia, like where I went through basic training at, that's just a run-of-the-mill army officer. No. He is the supreme officer in there. He is one of the princes of Egypt. He's one of the four most important, powerful people that's in the cabinet of Pharaoh. So here he is. That's who he is. And it says he's the captain or the prince of the guard. And that word... Uh, Tabak means the entire prison system. This man, it means to be a bodyguard. This man was the Secret Service, the FBI, and the CIA in one. He was the head of all of those things. He's the head of the court system, the judicial system, the executioner. He's, he's the one who puts you in prison. He's over all of the prison system. This is the man. And that's where Joseph has landed, is with him, with this guy. And then verse 2 says that in his hands, the Lord was with him and he prospered him. The Lord is keeping his part of the promise. All he has to do is remain faithful to God and God will keep his part of the promise. He is blessing him. He is being stable. He got rid of one ornate robe that his brothers took from him before he left. Now he's getting ready to get another ornate robe, a robe of authority in the second, probably, most powerful man in all of Egypt and running his household. God is able to use stable people. If Joseph was like me and he was in Panic Palace, 
He would not be able to use Joseph in a way like this. God can't use me to glorify him if I am all the time in panic palace. He needs for me to be stable so then he can use me to influence people that see the stability in your life through the word. And then beginning in verse 3, if you're still in our text, when the master saw that the Lord was with him and that he gave success in everything that he did, Joseph then began to find favor in the eyes of Potiphar, and he became his personal attendant. Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his entire household. He entrusted into his care everything that he had and that he owned. And from the time that he put Joseph in charge, he began to see the prosperity and the blessing that came through the household because the Egyptian then was blessed through association with Joseph. You can see how the word of God is emphasizing this here, that stability is bringing forth influence to such a man as this and beginning to change his mind. He's now putting a foreigner whom he doesn't know that well, but he is seeing the character, the integrity, the stability of this life, and this man is devoted to his God that he can trust him with his entire household over all of the servants that he's had maybe for years and years and years. And Joseph rises to the top because of his integrity of life. And God couldn't do that if he was unstable. He couldn't be glorified through that. And remember our new promise that's going on now, that in all of these things we can greatly rejoice because through these trials God is taking us through the fire to bring us out on the other side blessed so that his son is blessed through his association with us to those that come in contact with us. God is going to be glorified through Joseph, through these trials, not only in that household, but in the entire Egyptian. Later, well, here we go again, divulging some things. In dreams that's being happening that he's going to interpret the entire planet is going to be impacted by the stability of this one man. 3,800 years later, you and I are being impacted by his life because the stability that he had by staying planted by the river of water, the word of God in his life. Today, you and I can rely upon this example and say we can even do more than Joseph did. And you say, how is that possible? Well, I will tell you, because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when we become a Christian. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. One day we will study some of these things about what the Holy Spirit did and what his role was in the Old Testament. He didn't indwell, folks. Jesus told the disciples to welcome the Holy Spirit, and they didn't even do that. And it says, because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to people because Christ had not yet been glorified. So it wasn't until the church age that we get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to help us in our life. So we've got more assets. We have more tools than Joseph had. He didn't even have a written word of God. Moses is going to write it 400 years after this. So think about how stable he is. And yet I have all of these assets and I fall apart. That humbles you. 
Another thing that we have that he didn't is Jesus Christ and all that knowledge. Remember in Matthew 28, when he was getting ready to ascend, he told the disciples to teach everyone the things that I have taught you. Go teach it to them. And lo, I am what? With you only on your good days? Always, isn't it? I am with you always, even to the end of this age. So, he is always with us. They didn't have that. So, what am I doing being in panic palace all the time? I don't know. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have all of these divine assets that he has given us now. To help us in our journey. And let's use them. Let's tap into those. Tie into it and use it for strength with us. Now look at verse 6 if you're following along. Potiphar left everything in Joseph's care. And in his charge. He concerned himself with nothing except what's for supper. That's all he cared about. What am I going to eat? Everything's running smooth. All I care about is what's for supper. And it's usually fish because he's out fishing. He's left everything into his care. Um, that's all he worried about. Why? Because here's a stable man that I can trust because of his relationship with God. But now's when trouble begins to start. Look at the last half of verse 6. It says, Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Wow. Wow. Joseph is described by the word of God with one word twice. It's the word Yahweh, which means beautiful. And this word, whenever something's doubled in the language, it's like extreme emphasis. And it says that he was beautiful in face and in body. His frame, his entire being, he was like the persona of perfection. And now... His master's wife begins to notice him as he's growing up in this household from 17 years old and he's starting to become a man. She's starting to visualize this and she sees all of this and she can't help but notice him. But what she doesn't do also is to restrain those thoughts and get them in line so that they don't become outward expressions because now all of a sudden... The thoughts that start within you, which we've been saying is the real you, those thoughts now are going to become outward expressions. And she said, come to bed with me. She's making a strong pass at him. And if you can imagine that, here is Egyptian nobility. I am sure that his wife is a doll. I am sure that she is something else. And here she is. Joseph is probably now 20 or so. Male hormones, peak time. He's there with nobody. And just think, here's the Pharaoh, second-hand man. His wife is now saying, hey, I want you. How is he going to resist as a young man this type of thing? It says, no. Look at verse 8. He refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master doesn't concern himself with anything that's in his house. And that includes you. Everything he owns has been entrusted to me. And then he says, no one is greater in this house than I am. You know what he's telling her and what he's telling you and I with that subtle thing from the Holy Spirit? Is that 
you can't even order me to do this because I am topping the house underneath only the master. But you know what else that's saying? Not only can she not order him to do it, it also says that if he does it, it's what? His choice. He says, my master has kept everything from me except you because you are his wife. That reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden, doesn't it? There's only one thing that's been withheld from me. What choice are you going to make? And he could blame her for all that she's doing. But he says that it would be my choice if I did this. Because you can't even order me to do this. It would be me. So how can I do not only this wicked thing with my servant as to my master. But also the sin against God. <clears throat> and this kind of floored me. How can I also do this sin against God? Do you realize that all of our decisions not only impact the people with us, but my decisions impact God as well. This is the cross. It's a upward and linear type action. He says that this would also be against God. I'm reminded of David with Bathsheba and all of that happened in Psalm 51 when he's lamenting the fact of what went on. David said, forgive me of this transgression because against you and you only have I sinned. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about all of the things? What about the little child? No. He says against you and you only did I sin. So what that means is <clears throat> that I impact other people. But my sin, my decisions are really against God first and foremost. Isn't it? Everything that you think just impacts someone else is always impacting your relationship with God. Now, I don't often remember that. In uh, Matthew 25, <clears throat> there's a scene depicting the judgment, the sheep and the goats. Whenever you look at that, he says that the sheep go to the right-hand side, the goats go to the left-hand side. Do you know what the dividing line was there? Not only first and foremost, faith in Jesus Christ. But it says, because to the sheep on the right, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was all of these things. I was in prison and you joined Kairos and you came. And oh, that's not in there. That's another one. That I just, that's, that's the uh, ERV, the Ewing's Revised Version. Of what it, it actually just says. I was in prison. And you visited me. And then he looks over at the other side. The goats. And they said. Well why are we here? And he says because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me to drink. I was a stranger you didn't take me in. I was naked you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and I was sick. And you didn't visit me. And what did they say? When, Lord, did we see you like that? And he said, when you saw the least of the ones of your brothers and sisters, that was me. So everything that we do, good or bad, impacts not only our neighbor, but also our God and also Jesus Christ. And he says, that has went to me. You've done it to me when you do it to the least of these. <clears throat> 
So Joseph says this would be wickedness against not only the master, but against God. Verse 10, how does Potiphar's wife accept this refusal, this rebuttal? What does she do? She continued to speak unto Joseph day after day, but he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. Now, this one tripped me up a little bit because when you read through Joseph and you've told the story, you usually think of it as a one-time thing, don't you? All of a sudden, that little day after day jumped out there at me. Ooh, this didn't happen one time. He wasn't tempted just one day. Day after day after day, this woman is doing this. And what shocks me is that he never had a chink in the armor. I mean, aren't you going to have a bad day sometime? Aren't you going to feel down? And all of a sudden, it's like you give in to something. He doesn't get a chink in the armor. Day after day, he even refused to be around her. He was trying to escape. And I know it had to be through faith because he's a young man. But she keeps after him day after day and he continues to refuse. Her desires one time got overheated. Day after day of this, she just couldn't take him being in there and doing that. So... One time, when Joseph now comes into house after all of these times and the duties, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Today none of the servants were inside the house. She knows that. I don't think it was by accident. Verse 12. He's coming through there doing his duty. He's trying to be faithful. He's trying to avoid her. Sure that he doesn't recognize today that Nobody's in there. So he's got on his robe of authority. He's coming in. He's got his robe of authority on as the master's head of the household this time. And all of a sudden, as he's doing his duties, he gets beside Potiphar's wife, sneaks up. She says, lie with me, and grabs and seizes a hold of him. And he runs, (laughs) takes the cloak away from him. He leaves it there and he takes off and runs. Come to be with bed me. Day after day she's burnt with this lust and she can't stand it no more and she takes that. And the word there means to seize. She didn't just like reach out and daintily touch that. The word means to seize hold of. She grabbed him in passion. This is real life. Here's a woman who has been facing this day after day and what she wanted and hasn't got it. She's used to getting her way of who she is and royalty and she's not getting it and she says I can't take it no more. Lay with me and she grabs him and seizes a hold so tight like it's a winning lottery ticket and he has to pull out from underneath of that and escape. She's been burned with lust. Come with me, Joseph, in a frenzied passion. But he leaves and he refuses. That word for refuse there is unique. This is a very unique word for when it says that he refused. Because it means that you've committed something to be forsaken. Whenever his second 
code of authority got stripped from him again for the second time. They, they seem to keep getting him in trouble, these codes of authority, don't they? They get him in trouble. But when this time when he got stripped of it, it says that he committed it to be forsaken. In other words, he knew the decision he was making. You know, in Hebrews, it talks about Moses when he was in Pharaoh's household and he went back to being a Hebrew. What does it say? He chose to forsake the folly of sin for a season to be associated with God's people and to do God's will. That's what happened here. He has committed that to be forsaken. I have made a decision to follow God and I am forsaking my authority. I'm forsaking my life. I'm forsaking all that I have. I'm not going to fall into the folly of sin for a season, but I'm going to allow myself now to just be tossed into the hands of God and whatever he can blend up for my life is what I'm going to trust in. Now look at verse 13. When she saw that he had left the cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, now she began to call for the servants. She said, look, look at this. This Hebrew that was brought in to make sport of us came in to sleep with me, and when I screamed, he ran. He heard my screams for help, and he's left this here with me and ran out of the house. There's a quote that says, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And Joseph is now reaping that fire of this new trial in his life, isn't it? He has forsaken his cloak, knows what he's doing, to take off. She now sees what she has in her hand. Jerry's got it in her hand right now. She's like, I've got this. All of a sudden, her thoughts begin to turn. From the lust and the passion to now I've been scorned for the last time. I am going to take this little guy down. First thing she does, if you want to get people aligned to you, what do you do? She calls for the servants. Guess what they all are? Egyptians. Kind of like his brothers when he got promoted up to the top. They didn't like him too well, right? Think about you. You've been an Egyptian servant in the household. You've wanted... At your job, you want to work your way up to the top. How do you like it when some new guy comes in and all of a sudden you've been there 20 years and they promote the new guy to the top over you? Does that set well? Especially if he's a foreigner. Boy, you can imagine the talk. Now all of a sudden, she calls him in and said, that Hebrew tried to do this and now you're all what? You're united. There's a job opening. <laughs> and... We're going to take this racial thing and now all of a sudden their mental attitudes start joining together as a bond and she's got them on her side. I've got weight now with all of these people so that when he comes home, when the master comes home, not only me but all of these servants is going to be giving him the stink eye about what he's done. You brought this foreigner in to me. He's made sport of me and you and all of the servants are standing, yeah, and we could have been there and this wouldn't have happened. Now, what's it going to be like for Potiphar when he arrives? Verse 16, she kept that coat beside her. And then she told him the story when he got home. She wasn't letting loose of that coat. And she told him what happened. And I can just see her as she's holding that, making up this story of what she's going to tell him. 
And he comes home and look what your servant slave, that Hebrew that you brought in, has done to us. And they're all standing around him, peer pressure. Now all of a sudden, his mind begins to work. Hatred, jealousy. Maybe he had a little envy because he was only being blessed by Joseph and he was the man in power. But this little Hebrew slave is being more prospered than me. I'm only prospered because of him. He's got all of these kind of thoughts that starts going through his head. And now all of a sudden, what's he going to do when he's confronted with this evidence? She's telling him the story. She's got evidence in her hand. But what have we been saying? Believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. I mean, she, you can see the coat. You can hear the story. Evidence, isn't it? But is it true? No. He should have done something different, but he didn't. What did he do? Look there at verse 19. When he heard the story that the wife had told, this is how your slave treated me, it says what? He called in Joseph with her and made an interrogation and called it. No, it says he burned with anger. You know, you can't make a rational decision when you're burning with anger. Emotions come into play and you can't think rationally. Now, all of a sudden, he's mad. You've got all of this Hebrew stuff thrown in. You've got my wife involved in something. Look at all of the things that's swirling around with Potiphar, what's he going to do? It says he filled himself with anger. This is a strong emotional story that we've just had here. He began to glow hotly is what that word says. You could see his expression. He became red. He glowed. You could feel the heat off of him. As the worship team comes on back up to close us out, I wonder what's going to happen to Joseph. (laughs) You're going to have to come back next week and find out. I mean, here we are. We've got the number two man. You've got to remember, this guy is in charge of what? Prison system. He, Joseph knows what lies ahead. He's visited those prisons that his master is ahead of. He's the captain of the bodyguards. What's going to happen? Capital punishment... Adultery and what was getting ready to happen and and attempted rape against your wife, no less. And you have all power of all of the systems in Egypt. What's going to happen to Joseph with this? Is God going to remember Romans 8.28? I mean, we thought, how did God blend up something good then? With the other story, what about this story? I mean... Is Joseph in too deep? Is it time to toss in the towel? What's going to happen? I don't know, but what God's going to do in his life, he's going to do in your life and mine as well if we stay by the rivers of water. So come back next week and see how God can work that all together for our good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story of Joseph. Not only is it exciting, but it's real life. This is things that happens to us day after day. Things that we get into. Another fine mess could probably be my middle name. It was Daryl T., which is for trouble. But you can take all of this trouble 
and turn it into good because of who and what you are. Everything relies on who and what you are, not who and what I am, and I'm thankful for that. And I pray, Father, that every individual that's been here today can take this story and this example from your word and apply it to their life and know that it's true and that you will work the same wonders in their life as you did for Joseph because of who and what you are. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.